Hello, hello, hello. This is my very first pre-roll right now. That's not what this is called, is it? It's a pre-roll. It's a pre-roll. Um, welcome, everybody. <laughs> I'm very excited to be here. So I want to introduce Anand Desai Barokia. Barokia. We never know how I say his name correctly because it's completely wrong every single time and it's embarrassing. And he corrects me, so that's really adorable to listen to. Anyways, he walked in the room. We started rolling right away. We did not do a proper introduction. So I'm here to tell you to get ready. We have a fantastic episode. We bond over our sci-fi. We talk about vegetarianism. And basically, we just have a really good time with a lot of um, deep moments and a lot of surprises in this episode. Um, I hope you guys enjoy it. Follow us on Instagram at Emotional Support Pod. You can subscribe, like, give us five stars, comment, do all that on the iTunes at the Emotional Support Pod. Go to EmotionalSupportPod.com. Join the club. Join the Facebook group. Find us everywhere you can at Emotional Support Pod. Thanks for listening and thank you for being my Emotional Support. Anon, Anand, Desse, Barocchia. Completely incorrect. It's, um, so my last name is Desai Barocchia. My mom was Desai. My dad is Barocchia, but my mom was quite, you know, strong-willed and stubborn. And she was like, my children are going to have my last name. And so I'm Desai. However, she lost it. So she's just <laughs> Barocchia. Doesn't matter. But she, she made sure that her name lived on. So I, she's not dead, by the way. But so, so I'm yep. Desai Barocchia. And then first name... Anand is the Western way to say it. But it's Anon. It's Anon. It's like Canon. It's like Canon without a C. Anon. I never knew that about you. Neither did anyone else. Also, new revelation. Yay! My name's Anon. <laughs> it's Anon. I like Anon. So I'm in Serbia for like five months of the year. Because we'll say you're on this fabulous show called The Outpost. Yes. And it's on CW. Sure is. And you basically, I, you are a different person on the show, which obviously everyone is, is when they're playing a, a character. Thank you. But I don't look at it and watch it and think, oh my God, that's you. Mm. I think it's this like mad scientist, like which the hunchback walking around. Oh, what can I do for you, madam? What can I do? <laughs> that's one of the biggest compliments you can get. So thank you so much. I appreciate oh. that. Um, yes. We're You're d- not we're a super babe like you <laughs> were in real life. <laughs> we, uh, we moved. So we did our first season in, in Utah. And then we moved to Serbia. Oh, I didn't know it was in Utah. Season one was in Utah. Wow. And then we moved season two to Serbia because to up production value, because that's what we really needed from, from right. our different, like, we needed to up production value. And so we moved to Serbia. We have some incredible DPs. And, 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 and they're all locals. All locals. Wow. Um, but also your money goes way, way further. They're I'm like sure. four times the amount. Um, so I've been living in Serbia for five months and not only for production, but living costs as well are so cheap. And really? So yeah. Food. Was I mean, I don't know so why I'm cheap. saying really. I, I would believe that. But yeah. Food was. We there was a, a like say the nicest Italian restaurant, and like a truffle gnocchi was like seven dollars. That's how cheap it was. And so I think maybe now coming back, and then I go to Cafe Gratitude, and it's maybe like forty dollars for a side right. dish. Right. Like, okay. But it's probably it's that I didn't realize that it's it would be that insanely cheap. cheap. What is Serbia like? Pretty incredible. Have you ever been to or have you ever been to Berlin? Yes, like, I actually just went this past last summer. I did guess you really? the end of last summer. I liken it to Berlin in the sense that it's not pretty. There's no beach or anything like that. It's very concrete, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of history. Graffiti. There's a lot of history. You know, right. they, they've they're still coming out of. Their, their darker times. Um, wow. And so a lot of, say, a lot of the buildings still, you'll still see, like, say, in the middle of town or something, you'll still see, like, a bombed-out building or something like that that's still not being um, fixed and all of that kind of stuff. Or, say, like, a lot of buildings are still dark. Um, however, the people are great. Mm-hmm. And the, you really see a sense of, like, rejuvenation happening. And it is... Belgrade. We were in Belgrade. And... It's really growing at quite a rapid rate. Uh-huh. Um, people, the culture, 
it's also still so close to get to everywhere, you know, within Europe. Still tiny, Within yeah. Europe. So, like, it's still just an hour flight to wherever, Montenegro or Paris, London, et cetera, et cetera. Really? So, on that front, yeah, it was great. I had a great, great time. Are they shooting a lot of things in Serbia? More and more so. So, what happened was, is that our crew went and they searched, you know, they went to Ireland and Romania and Budapest, and now all of those places are getting more and more packed. And there's almost like, you, like I think Ireland wasn't even an option because cause of obviously Game of Thrones and all mm. of that kind of stuff is there as well. So then, and I think Vikings was shot there as well. Um, because of those shows, there, there's less and less crew, mm-hmm. you know? And so we went to Serbia and we found this incredible crew and incredible, our DP was really quite brilliant. Our DP, his name is Eagle, and he... Eagle? Eagle. Oh, Igor. I-G-O-R. Yeah. Do you know I love that name? I know that's so strange, <laughs> but I love the name Igor. Without a doubt, that man single-handedly changed our show. Wow. You know? And that was us going to Serbia. Um, yes. So that's why we went to Serbia. Will there be a season three, do we know yet? Hopefully. We'll and see. would that be in Serbia? If we go to season three... There is no doubt in my mind it would be back in Serbia because we bit all, we built all of our sets there as right, well. Right, right, right. You know, like I think, and people don't realize how expensive it is mm, for sets and all of our exteriors as well. Like last year in Utah, we had just if anyone's watched the outpost, you'll see there was just one outdoor like street, almost not even a street, right? You know, and then I think in uh, in in Serbia where they rebuilt Could it, use the whole country. It's it's. It, like, I think that our, our outdoor set was way over an acre, maybe oh, two. Oh, easily, because it's like a time warp. Yeah. That's how I felt like when I went to Berlin. When I went to Berlin, I was only there for about 48 hours, and I was kind of walking around by myself a lot of the time um, because I, I went with um, Sturgis and he was working there. And I would get lost there, but mm-hmm. in a very magical way, and it didn't feel like 2018. It, it was doesn't. it was just such a trip, just to walk around. Yo, if you Berlin feel doesn't it. feel like 2018 to you, Belgrade definitely won't. It's still it's still um, still you know they're still trying to they're on their feet. Right, it's, it's great to live there. They have some beautiful restaurants and stuff like that. But when you when you compare it to you know how we're living in LA when everyone's a vegan and they're all eating impossible right. burgers where that bleeds beetroot to to you know. Jeez. To make it seem to like make it look yeah. like blood, well. it's not quite there yet. <laughs> but they have a great life. Yeah, of course they do, and they don't know any different. No, but also even like if they- to them, like that's the most amazing thing. And, and and to me, I would, I look at small small towns. I have this very weird complex where I am from the Bay Area. I'm from a big town. I've lived here since I was nine in Los Angeles. I love the city life, but there's mm. a part of me that things that she belongs, you know, you know, in the swamps in the south of like Louisiana. <laughs> and when I go to other countries and I find those small little, not like knickknacks, like, uh, like not tchotchkes. Why can't I speak right now? Like little, like, like little coffee shops that sure. are very old school and just <clears throat> people have not changed. And there's like no technology yeah. in a good way. Yeah. It's like, it's there, but they're living at it's such a present life. Yeah. And I feel what I assume, you know, Serbia's like where there's the face to face connections. Yeah. I mean I think that that's where this whole ramble that I just went through is all about <laughs> connections. I think uh, from what I discovered and what I was when I, we were speaking to the crew and stuff like that, Belgrade is definitely the most advanced in, in the country. Mm-hmm. And you can tell it's still it's still really nice to live there, you know. Oh yeah. Um, however, if you go just outside of Belgrade, I think that's maybe where there's some you know more impoverished uh, areas and stuff like that. But Belgrade itself, it's definitely a city. It- okay, so this is on brand for my show, yep. but off brand for you because you do not have any mental health disorder issues such as me. I mean... Specifics. Not diagnosed. Right. So you're a good time. We know that much. Yeah. So there's definitely something wrong with you. Yeah. You're such a fucking good I mean, time. I'm, I'm a creative. I'm an actor. Of course of I'm course messed up. Of course you do. Of course I'm fucked up. But 
What did you ever, I mean, I feel like it's not something that would have been very, um, like something that you would have been aware of in Utah, but I'm so curious about Serbia. I always talk about, I I was telling you before this, that we always talk about the different countries and and stigmas on mental health. And it seems Serbia is actually quite very progressive in a way. It's, I, I don't know if it is. I don't think. Think it is really? I don't think it is. In, in I'm a just lot making of ways, assumptions. Of yeah, <laughs> in a lot of different, in, in like in terms of like you know moving forward and things like that. Yes, they are. In terms of men's mental health, men I, specifically. Yeah, mm. I don't think it's quite there yet. I don't. I remember, like. Do you know? Actually, even in so obviously I'm Indian and there's a. I think growing up there was probably still a stigma. In, in the Indian culture as well, huh. actually. Because I remember there was... Um, something was happening with... Oh. Shall I go there? Sure. Let's go there. Let's go there, let's honey. Go there. Yeah. No. Um, so something was happening within my own family. And I was saying to... Um, I was saying to an, an older family member about, like, a, a, one of the younger generations. I was like, you do realize that he is... He, his traits are your traits mm-hmm. and they wouldn't accept that. Like, my, like um, someone was really quite depressed mm-hmm. and, and their elders couldn't see that, you know, that their elders were on um, like these depression medication and all of that kind of stuff, but they couldn't see that it could be genetic. And it could be... Oh, interesting. But they were on medicine? Themselves. For, wow. for decades. For decades and decades. However, their offspring, if right, you want right. to say, yeah, yeah. was also showing the same traits, but they couldn't see that. They refused to believe that it could. they could have passed on because this. Because it would have been what? Like a sign of weakness almost? That they created this issue maybe, with someone? Maybe. Maybe they didn't want to see the reality that, you know... It's also, it's okay. I mean, it's okay, but I mean, listen, um, I don't talk to my dad, and they didn't believe in mental health, Mm. and his mother was clearly bipolar and clearly major issues, and now my dad is in his late 70s, he's older, and, and, you know, so you think back to his generation, then you think back to his mother's generation, mental Mm. health was not an issue at all, like, you did not talk about it, nor, it's not even that you didn't talk about it, it wasn't a thing. You know, it's nothing that was fixed. All of a sudden there were like lobotomies and all this stuff, but that <laughs> was an extreme yep. that I mean, so wouldn't I, have happened in Michigan, you I, know? Yeah. Cuz I suggested I was like he needs to, you know, seek help or he needs to at least see if this, you know, the way he's feeling, why he's so down, why he's so upset, depressed, has no motivation to do anything. This could, you know, this could be a a a, a mental and and medical thing, and they refused to believe it or follow that path. And how sad because you know I know for personal use, like for my personal self, like yep. I wasn't diagnosed till I was twenty two, and I mm. wish that we would have known things because it would have been so much easier if I was on medicine when I was younger and wouldn't have had all the problems that I did. But instead of, you know, like you're saying with your family, looking, you know, at the younger generation, wouldn't how, how you couldn't think, put aside that it could be because of you, but if you are present enough and aware enough to know that you have an issue and you're on medication, why wouldn't you want to help someone so they don't have to go through all those trials and tribulations from, like, going through adulthood? It's interesting. I think it's a cultural thing from England and America also, because I do, do believe heavily that in England, doctors aren't trying to put you on medication. Mm-hmm. I really Medication genuinely, in general. Yes, I genuinely believe that. Whether it's to an extreme or not, I don't know. But I do see, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm being really uh, ignorant to this, but I do see that it's much easier and it's, it's, it's always seems to be the easier answer in America to be put onto uh, medication, to be prescribed something, mm-hmm. to be diagnosed with something, even if it's not necessary or needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and that happens so and that's, many times. I, and I think that's also because there is so much money to be made mm-hmm. in pharmaceuticals in America. There is a... The fact that, like, the NHS, which is our, you know, free healthcare system in England, the fact that it's still going 
and it's still free is because our doctors don't make as much money. Mm -mm. And, you know, and prescription and, and drugs aren't as expensive. Whereas here, doctors and you know, medical professions make so much money, but then that's why it's so expensive to get treated. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's a, a huge, huge difference between England and America mm -hmm. is, is this unfortunate reality that money is key to, to health mm -hmm. in America. It's, it's you know? kind of the most fucked up thing. But do you ever think that do you ever think that medical professions, professions, professionals would ever take that much of a pay cut now that they used to say, like, say a surgeon or of a heart not. surgeon or whatever? Are used to earning whatever three hundred thousand, half a million dollars a year. You think they're going to drop down to like sixty thousand uh, pounds dollars a year? It's not going to happen. Absolutely not. You know. Absolutely. And I, I think that that's a huge, huge problem. And yeah. also the amount of money that pharmaceuticals can make. Mm -hmm. So then people are being put on medication that sometimes maybe they don't need to be on. My medicine for my bipolar medicine, if I don't qualify for the right SAG insurance, which yep. happens sometimes yep. because they don't count residuals, yep. my medicine can up to be up to $600 a month. And I... Like, for one pill um, for bipolar disorder. But it was interesting because we were talking about how... But who can afford that? Like, I certainly can't afford that, and, and I'm a thing. working and, actress. And you're a working actress, and, I mean, working or not. And the... the, the how? The, the average person, $600 a month, that's sometimes some people's rent, you know, in that's middle America. People, you know? Their, their whole month of, like, living for a yes. whole family. And so she was, she has still her best friends are all out here and they have kids the same age. And we were talking about how, you know, all these kids are diagnosed ADD, ADHD. And I'm not denying that that's not a real thing. I do believe in that's America, a real thing in America. Yeah, yeah. I do believe that that's a real thing. 100%. There were kids that I grew up with 30 years ago that needed it yes. and that were on it. But it's so different over there. There are not that many kids. Here, it's like 80% of the kids in the grade are all on Adderall. And you're like, you don't need this. Do you know, it almost seems like it's two extremes. It's throwing know? a problem. It's it, throwing it's, drugs and money at a problem yeah. when that may not even be the problem. It's, it's definitely two extremes because when I now think of it, you know, I'm sure that's where some of... The when like you know the the older generation in my family that were saying you know uh, there's nothing wrong with him don't be silly there's nothing wrong with these folks, it's also because like it's that's the culture that they've now got used to in England mm -hmm. that it's this stubborn you know like you don't see a therapist now thankfully therapy is is more than completely fine in right. England it wasn't when I was growing up hmm. for sure and I definitely remember even when so I moved to LA in 2010. And I still remember, like, when I came here and everyone talked about their therapist, it was still quite shocking to me that right. everyone had a therapist. Right. Um, so that was still very new to me, and that's 2010. So, like, I feel like the last five years... Which is years, not that long ago. That long ago. <laughs> I feel like the last five years has progressed vastly yeah. in England in terms of mental health mm -hmm. and looking into it. Um, but but it, it definitely, like, therapy wasn't a, uh, a normal thing mm -mm. in England mm -mm. five years plus ago. And it's so funny because it's, it's well, it's kind of like everything, right? You know, New York, um, yeah, uh, Los Angeles, all the kind yeah, of hot, metropolitan big bubbles. metropolitan cities, mm. it's always been acceptable and it's always been okay. But yep. you even go to the South or you go to middle America in the Midwest and that stigma still exists. Yep. And it's just, it, it, that is the whole point of this show is, for me, I was told, don't talk about your mental health. You're not going to book a job as an actor. Um, whenever I would talk about it in relationships and past relationships, they would then use that on me. If I didn't even do anything wrong, they would turn it on me and go, well, you're fucking crazy. You mean don't talk about it publicly? Publicly. And did you not talk about it publicly? Um, I didn't for a long time. For a long time. But when I slowly did with friends or relationships, yep. I got shamed so much by specifically relationships and even some friends that I, that I stopped being friends with 
um, would turn it on me and be like, so, well, she's, she's off her rocker. That's why. So it affected your relationships, but it didn't affect your career. Well, I never talked about it in my career. Ah, 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 copy. I didn't talk about it in my career until maybe two years ago is when I really started talking about it. I mean, I know that there's interviews that I did and maybe I would mention it um, here and there. I'm sure I'll like go back to it and I'll be like, oh, I, I said that 10 years ago oh, or whatever it was, you know. Um, but specifically for me remembering, it didn't happen until about two years ago when I finally was like, you know what, I really don't care anymore. And it's so funny, my current boyfriend now, we've been together for four years, the first time we we um, met, he was like, oh, you know, what's your story, whatever. And I was like, I'm just going to warn you right now, I'm bipolar, and you either can deal with it or you not, um, but I don't need to be judged for it. And he was like, this is hot. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, she's a nut. I love it. And, like, we're still together. But, you know, it, it what I, I finally was kind of like, I don't fucking care anymore. It's not a big deal. Um, I didn't like being shamed for it. I didn't like seeing other people hiding their issues and their problems for being shamed for it. And I don't judge them for keeping things quiet. I, You know, you do you. It's yep. your prerogative. Like, whatever you want to do to live your life. But for me, I was so sick of not being able to speak my true self. But then other people could talk about it. Um, not about mental health, but they could be like, I have diabetes. You're not going to judge them for having diabetes. You're, you're, you're not going to judge certain things. You know what I mean? Something that wasn't mental related. Yeah. They're both illnesses. So why does one have to be judged and the other can't? Do you think that it's now being normalized more? Um, I think it's starting to. Yeah. I don't think it's normalized yet. I still don't think it's normalized yet. I think that there was a real big change in this business um, in a positive way. Everything from the Me Too movement uh, to women empowerment to mental health to, um, you know, um, the L- I say it wrong, the LGBTQIA community. It's, yes. it's a lot of words. Yeah. But, you know, all, things have changed so much and things have progressed so much that I think it left kind of an opening for mental health. I think the big, big, big obvious thing in the last decade is social media. 100%. And the effect that has had on people mm-hmm. is gigantic. Mm-hmm. For good and bad, mm-hmm. you know, and I, th- and I mean, it's no secret. I'm not. I'm not saying anything profound here. Social media has had a massive effect on people's mental health. Absolutely, um, it has an effect on me, and I'm not a jealous person. Yeah. But you see these girls that are traveling around the world, and this is for me personally, and they have perfect bodies, and they have all this money, and you're like, how are you living this extravagant life when I'm at home working my ass off just to get an audition? Mm. And it's all false, right? It's all a fake reality. Of course it is. I did, I mean, I've done a few interviews now where I talk about this, about how, especially actually just the other day, I did one talk about authenticity, yeah, I mean, I'm still not perfect about, I, I can, it's it's almost, you know, like, I'm preaching it, but I'm still, you know, working on it myself. Social media. And that's aff- fine, because everyone's a work in progress. Yeah. Social media affects me massively. Hmm. Hugely, hugely, hugely. Really? Oh my gosh, so much. Because you, I feel, and I was speaking, so there's an actress called uh, Robin, Robin, Robin Malcolm. Okay. Who plays my mother on set. And, um. In the first season, actually, we were talking about this because she she said to me, she was like, I don't have social media. You don't need social media. And my response to that was, and maybe it's wrong, maybe it's right, who knows, is that I feel like, say, actors, I'm talking specifically in the creative um, field now, right, right. actors who got their start before social media happened and started, they maybe feel like they don't need social media. Right. I'm in this generation and this uh, time in in the world right now where I f- genuinely feel like people are looking at your social media. And Do you know how many times I've lost a job because I don't have a million followers? And I think that's gross. Is that not but the then, most disgusting thing? But then thing? I was speaking to, actually, I was speaking to uh, Jane Griffin, one of our producers last night, and w- something like that 
kind of was happening for something else. And then I, and then I said, to, she was like, I'm really sorry about that. I was like, but you know what? If I am losing a job because of my lack of followers, it's not a job that I needed in the first place. Uh, absolutely. You know? It's not a job that you need. If, if, they're, if they're choosing someone for the amount of followers that they have or the fake followers that they bought, shade. Oh, shade. <laughs> then it is not a job that I need to be on. I completely agree with you. So you and I share something in common where we are both part of the sci-fi fan world. Yes. And what I will say, the positive thing that I will take about social media is when I was on Caprica, um, that was the sci-fi show, and Twitter had just come out. Mm. So there was no Instagram. Mm -hmm. Um, Facebook wasn't a place for fandom-type instances. And Twitter was the only way to communicate. I do believe that the following would have been bigger on social media, or maybe I'm just making an excuse to boost my own ego. (laughs) But I do think that it would have been um, more helpful for me if Instagram existed at the time. What I love in terms of in terms of um, followers, career, um, seeing connections, just certain things, and and I mean fan connections. So what I say about social media, the the benefit that I find from it, which I feel you will as well, Mm -hmm. is it's the best way to connect to fans. Yes. And that is the most positive thing that I will take from social media because there are so many days where I'm like, I don't want to see these people anymore. I don't want to see someone booking a job that I don't think deserves it or I don't want to see them on vacation or I don't, mm. you know, when I was single, I don't want to see people happy in relationships. But I will say I'm happy I never got rid of it because it is how I connect to my fans. It is how I keep things personal. And you and our specific fandom mm-hmm. is so in technology and they're so brilliant and they want to feel that yeah. connection. I think you know? the key to social media, apart from authenticity, is to be aware. You have to be aware. For Facebook, I use Facebook for my old family and friends from back at home. For Instagram, I use it because I know industry folks you can connect with industry folks there as well. But also industry folks are going to look at it. So I post, you know, mostly work things and then some of my personality as well. Twitter, I only started using Twitter once I joined the outpost. Mm. I always had it. I never used it. Twitter is where our fandom, especially the outpost, our sci-fi fantasy medieval fandom really is. And they are so interactive. So interactive. So um, nice. Yeah. So nice. And, and so that's, I do, you know, use the different things for different purposes. Um, but yeah, Twitter has, I've, I've, I've really upped it. Uh, and the fandom is so special because I, I told you that I was going to tell you how this all started. Yeah. And you were like, wait, 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 tell me on the podcast. <laughs> so I've told the story a bunch of times. So I'm going to do a, a fast paced version of it. Um, I'd always talked about doing a show. I'd always, I used to be a host um, from 9 to 11, it sounds ridiculous, for the Coffee Kids Club in Love for it. Warner Brothers with the WB Frog. And I interviewed San Jose Sharks and the mayor and John Waters and all these things. And that's how I got bit by the camera bug. And that's why I wanted to become an actor. I was actress. about to say, do you even like, can you hear yourself? Like you were doing a 9 to 11 thing at Warner Brothers for like, yeah. like that's so industry it's so crazy like normal <laughs> normal I guess kids not growing up in California that's still so alien I to know them, you know and, it, did, and it it ever feel, in the 90s. did it ever feel alien did it ever feel like oh I'm doing something that most kids won't be doing did no it, because it was in San Francisco it was your normality yeah, it was in San Francisco. We shot it on Saturdays, mm-hmm. um, unless there was a special event. So when I interviewed John Waters, it was at Planet Hollywood in San Francisco. Wait, was it an on-camera thing? Or, uh, on camera. Okay, wow. And I had a little leopard fur jacket on with matching gloves and like a little beret. How old were you? I was 10. Can I say, I'm, I, so what I'm imagining now is that JoJo... Siwa, that's kind of no, what I'm no, 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 no. I mean, like, sweet, but like, no, no, no. That's I was like a were. little American doll. It was very Got conservative, it. except my favorite movie was Serial Mom. Do you remember Serial Mom that nope. John Waters did? You need to go home and watch it. Okay. Um, 
it was, it might as well have been an NC-17 movie. And one of the lines goes, are those pussy willows, Dottie? And I knew what a pussy was. <laughs> Anyways, long story, I said this to him. He was mortified. I ran into him years later and I was like, I don't know if you remember, but I interviewed you and I was 10 years old and I told you my favorite movie was Serial Mom. And he's like, I don't remember that, but I'm so sorry for your childhood. It must have been really fucked up. And I was like... It's not, but okay, thank you. <laughs> but I'm like his biggest fan. Anyways, I love doing that. I always wanted to get back to that because mm. I think that there's nothing more fascinating than interviewing your friends specifically yep. because I interviewed some of my best friends already on this show and there are things that I learned about them that I never even knew and they've been my best friends for years. So I think it's such an interesting um, kind of like dynamic going on. I feel almost in the same... The same way, actually. I feel really quite comfortable and at home in interviews. Uh-huh. Um, I really quite enjoy them. I did think about it, actually, before, about about hosting as well. Um, however, that's not the path I'm well, on Well, right if now. you want a podcast, Isaac's <laughs> an amazing producer, and I need, to, I need to get rid of him, so someone take him from me. <laughs> You're about He's to giving me a thumbs up. Space. He's giving me a thumbs up. But I was actually at, um, I love going, I, I, let me say this. I love going to conventions, but mm. I don't go to conventions that often because I get very overwhelmed and I have very high anxiety and I like have a panic attack and I can't handle too many people around me. Um, so I loved Comic-Con, but yep. there was a moment at Comic-Con where I kind of panicked because um, after our panel, I went into the bathroom and a male fan came in there trying to get an autograph and like... They were amazing, like the sci-fi people who were watching us. Mm. So there were like certain things where I wasn't famous enough where like that shit should have happened. Mm. And I was confused, like why it was happening. So, and that was a rare instance. Very heavily involved. Sci-fi, fantasy, I've never been part of this genre before. It's my favorite. it's, it's, it's It's new to me. Right, right. I was, I was never, I, I never grew up on sci-fi fantasy. I never did. And okay, so, I loved it. Yeah. But yeah. And so and so this was all such a new world to me. And at first it was very overwhelming. Right. I mean, so we did uh we started in January in Utah and then we went to Sundance. Um like wow. the our first weekend. It was like one of our first weekends like as a cast together. And Jake, who's uh on the show, he is a huge and he will happy very happy for me to say this. He is a huge sci fi fantasy nerd. And so he knows all the folks in that fandom and, and genre. And right. we went to, I think, a couple of their sci-fi type parties um, in at Sundance. And it was so overwhelming. Yeah, I it's mean, a even, trip. They were, they were talking about, um, what was it? Oh, cosplay. So they started talking about cosplay. Obsessed and, with cosplay. Well, <laughs> but here's how out of this world I was. That to me, cosplay sounded like some like kinky fetish. Thing. It totally is. I was like, wait groups of people get dressed up in costume and then they just hang out with each other. I was like, oh, yeah. this is like some like kinky stuff. And and Jake was just looking at me like, what what, what are you saying? Because they were yeah. all around me and they're all really heavily into right, it, you know? Right. Um, that's how new it is to me. Right. And I and I get it. And I feel like at the time I was a huge no fan judgment. of... No judgment. No, no judgment. <laughs> no, no, no. And I was a huge fan of sci-fi my whole life. Yeah. But that was the first time I ever went to Comic-Con. Mm. And the first day that I'm there, I'm going to the bathroom and some like man is following me in to get an autograph. So how does that make you feel? Well, it made me feel... I love how I'm flipping this to No, I know. No, interview. I love this. It made me feel very terrified yep. because I have a very... Um, my mind goes on such a spiral all the time that I always think of the worst situations that could possibly happen. And what terrified me the most about it was I had a few instances where um, men at Comic-Con and at New York Comic-Con told me like their sexual fantasies. And the problem I had with it was I was 20 at the time, but my issue was I played 15 on the show. Mm. So for all they knew, you could have been I was 15 years old. And that's where um, the uncomfortability came from. Mm-hmm. Um, I am very loud and outspoken, and I can hit someone in the face if I ever felt like really terrified. Yeah, yeah. I'm not worried about that. But it was more the psychological uh, fear that I had that people were trying to, like, test me out knowing that I was, like, 15. Which is unfortunate because 
I'm sure the vast majority of you know oh that was a point zero one percent of people that but I was it still with. made you feel a certain way mm-hmm. or uncomfortable right. as well right. Right. Are you still affected by that? Um, I'm not affected by it now. Mm. I also am not... Um, uh, in. If I was on a sci-fi show right now, I'd probably do more of the conventions and stuff, but I can't go and take people's money being on a show that was a sci-fi show years ago. Does that make sense? I can't be... That's very... I mean, that's very good of you. Yeah, and I don't even mean it to be good at me. You mean like just, making money from a job that you're not on? Yeah, like Capricot's finished, you know, and like I know people like want to hang out and meet me, and the only time I did a job. Um, but that does that have anything to do with like? Um, I think it's an ego thing. Got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's actually like that's really the truth of it. Is it's like an ego thing, where like I don't look like I did mm. when I was on the show. I had jet black hair, like I looked very different. And, like, ego-wise, I don't need to be talking about a show that I was on unless it's a true fan that really wants to get in it with me and, like, have a moment. Um, I don't need to be, like, signing an old autograph. You think it would make you feel... Depressed about myself. And, like, I've not done anything since when I know I have, Mm. you know? Um, And I would say that Mm. the one exception was I did this convention in Brighton. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and it was, I'm sure you'll end up going on one of these. And it was, it's for this um, company called Star Fury. Um, I've I, heard of it. Yes, you'll definitely be yep. going. <laughs> um, and the um, owner, Sean Harry, is like a dear friend of mine. Totally setting you up. Like, Sean, like, watch out now. Like, Outpost family coming. <laughs> um, and it was for um, the show Lucifer. It was mm-hmm. a convention for Lucifer. I had done one episode. I forgot that I had done an episode. <laughs> I'm going to be completely honest. I don't watch the show. Like, I'm sure it's great. Yeah. Um, but one of the other women that was a recurring on the show is a woman named called... Tr- woman called name. A woman named Trisha Helfer. Mm-hmm. And Trisha Helfer was on Battlestar Galactica. Long story short, she technically plays my daughter because ours is the prequel, blah, blah, whatever. So he thought it would be really fun if I went and was a guest with all of these people for the Lucifer convention and that he would put us together because we had never done a convention together where it was the two Cylons. Uh-huh. So he thought it'd be really fun and we still had the connection to Lucifer. Basically, no one wanted me there and they made it clear that no one wanted me and there. you mean that? The as- fans. They wrote on Twitter doing a campaign as to why I shouldn't be going and why I should, they should hire someone, bring someone else to Brighton who was part of Lucifer, like as a series regular. Um, So it's That made you feel shit. It made me feel shit. I went there. I cried every single night. Um, Were people mean to you in person as well? Um, there was one part where there was a whole line of everyone and everyone was getting um, photographs and, and autographs. And this girl, they said, oh, do you want, um, Alessandra, her line is over here. And she's like, I don't want her autograph. And I was like, ooh, that really hurts. See, but this like, is the thing, like, most, like, this is where the social media thing as well, like, people can hide behind their computers, can't they? Yeah, and so yeah. many people do. I mean, this one particular instance happened in person. Yeah, and and it was the first time that that's happened in a while, and the first convention I went to in a long time to to open up and do that. Mm-hmm. And I had to give a. Uh, there was a panel. I did the first one with Trisha, and it was really fun, and it was entertaining. And and the true like Battlestar Capricorn fans were there and were asking questions. Yeah. Then the second one, I was supposed to do it with this other guy who was from Outlander or something, and he um, couldn't make the convention. So Sean Harry, the owner of the the place he came and was like I'm going to interview you um, and there was a it was a Q&A there were maybe three questions and then after that no one lined up and the room was completely empty and I had about 50 minutes left to talk so I introduced it and I go hey guys like I'm just going to get to the point I'm Alessandra and I'm bipolar like do you guys have any questions about mental health and I had wow. everyone la- line up we went over the hour People ran out to tell the other the wow, other wow, fans wow. that that I was talking about mental health. They left getting autographs from all the main cast to come in, and every single one of them had questions. And they were like, "We've never heard of a celebrity talking about this." And like, "But you're so pretty," and you know, "Why why do you have this issue?" And all this stuff. And then I had a girl who like came up to me, and she was like, "You know, I've never heard someone talk about it." 
um, I'm a cutter and I and I do it all the time. And she showed me her scars. And she, oh my God, like I'm going to cry because I cry every time. And she was just such an angel. And she um, said, I, you are an inspiration because I was diagnosed bipolar and I tried to ignore it for years. So I've been hurting myself to relieve the pain. And I was even just telling Isaac, I got this incredible message, um, a DM um, on Instagram from a, um, a lady who wrote me that she, um, you know, got the help that she always thought she needed and that she's finally at peace. And, oh my God, I'm going to cry. Isaac made me stop. Um, but it was that moment where I'm like, if I could help one person mm-hmm. in this world from not wanting to die yep. or not wanting to harm themselves or not feeling like an outcast, that's what I'm here for. It you know, I, mean, I, I cry commercials. So like, this is like super embarrassing for me, but, but you know, it, it, it really meant a lot to me because I had a suicide attempt that was a failed attempt. Um, and thank God for that, but I didn't ever have anyone to talk to about it. And the only person that ever spoke about bipolar disorder and mental health and creating it to be stigma free was Carrie Fisher. And Carrie Fisher was my idol, obviously princess Leia. But beyond that, she was openly diagnosed. She openly talked about it. She wrote all these incredible books um, that I reread all the time. And it was the first person that made me feel like, oh, it's okay. And and that's kind of where this podcast was born from, was from me feeling so down and so depressed and me not having a job to talk about when I was there, not saying, oh, I have a movie coming out, none of this. And my ego being completely crushed and completely destroyed and with one bit of honesty got a reaction that I never would have gotten even if I said that I was in the new fucking Marvel film, you know? Um, And that is what's so wonderful with that fan base in regards to you having you here because you understand what that's like of how wonderful these people are. I don't know why I'm about to say this. Oh, God, what? (laughs) Am I going to say it? I don't know. Do you want to say it? I don't know. Uh, wow, this is really hard for me to say. Oh my I've God, never, I don't know. I've I'm going to start crying. I've never said it before. I was, ooh. Yeah, fuck it. I have <laughs> never, ever said this before. I had bulimia. Oh my God, don't make me cry. And I don't know why I'm saying this right now. Oh my God, we can cut it out. Um, no, fuck it. I think it was when I was in theater school. I need a tissue. Get me a tissue. It's when I was in theater school. Uh-huh. And I was in my last In year, high school, which uh, would be... Musical theater school. Uh-huh. And so I was, what, 19 years old. And I looked at my... I mean, my theater school was also eight floors of floor-to-ceiling mirror. Fuck. And we're in musical theater school. Everyone's dancing nonstop. And I looked at myself and I was like, I'm either going to become a character actor uh-huh. or I'm going to try and lose this weight so I can get, you know, other jobs. Irony, just <laughs> realizing right now, the character actor that I am and I lost the weight still. However, wow. I lost. I've never mentioned this. Mom, if you're listening, hey, guess what? Your kid had bulimia. You're um, kidding me. She never knew. Never spoke about it. Oh I've God. never spoke about it in my life. I, even to my closest friends, I said, told one friend, Maud Hurst. She's actually, uh, she's an actress. She was on, she was on Vikings. And, uh, and we spoke about it once uh, a year or so after in London. But yeah, I, I lost 65 pounds in about... No. Five months or so, four months. Do you know what? I would actually be really interested to know if anyone from my theater school, if you ever listen to this podcast, what you guys were actually thinking. Because I'm sure everyone was looking at, I remember people looking at me like. Like they knew. Like they knew. But we never talked about it. We, no one actually asked me about it. Was I also anorexic and bulimic? I would eat very minimal, and then what I would eat, I would throw up. How long did that last for? Was there a moment where you kind of snapped out of it and you were like, what the hell am I doing? It lasted, I think it was maybe about four months. Maybe about four months. 
Can I make a really strange um, thing for you right now? Yeah. Just think of how we opened the show. Yeah. And the first thing you talked about was how you were losing oh. weight. Uh, yeah. Wait, oh, right. See, it's not going away. Isn't that and, so? And it still, whoa, we just got <laughs> deep. That's what happened. This is show. a section so we're going to use on this podcast. I get it. It still affects me to this day. Clearly, I have not taken my top off in public since I was 14 years old. And I remember I was on a family vacation in a swimming pool. And since then, I have not taken my top off in public. Um, thank you. Um, so it clearly affects me. And I say that because, you know, from losing so much weight and I have excess skin and stuff like that. But also a lot of it, that's really quite a great excuse for me also to say that it's because of excess skin. It's not necessarily because of excess skin. It's because I don't look perfect to uh-huh. me. And so I am not going to, why would I want to, pre- and the irony again is me talking about being authentic on Instagram and on social media when I won't allow myself to be shown in a not perfect light. Have you ever been on a show where you needed to have um, your body be shown? They almost tried to do it. It was written in to the finale episode of The Outpost of season one. And I spoke to our showrunner and I was like, no, I'm because I. Spoiler, if you haven't seen season one, (laughs) I get stabbed in the last episode. Mm. And they wanted to... Uh, oh, Isaac's pissed now. I now mean, he's I'm, not going to watch it. We're in season two. I'm still alive. But I get stabbed. I'm here. I'm here. Um, but I get stabbed. And it was the intent... The, the way it was written at first was I was shirtless. And I spoke to Jonathan Glassner, our showrunner. And I was like, please don't do this to me. Like, please, please, please do not do this to me. And so they, they redid it. So, you know, they stabbed me through the shirt. But also, I need to either, I need to figure this out. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a very current problem for me. I need to figure this out. I'm an actor. Like it or not, it's going to come to a time where I'm not going to have as nice showrunners mm-hmm. that, you know, write around my insecurities. The amount of times that I have been told that I will lose the job if I don't wear the bathing suit or mm-hmm. I don't wear the bra and panties or, oh, why don't we just, we're going to put the nipple covers on you and so you won't see your boobs and it won't technically be a topless scene, but it's enough to give the idea and to be able to... Is the, is the, is that, maybe I'm being defensive, but is that not a different thing? Is that not more dignity? I guess, no, actually, if I had my top off, I would... I would feel the yeah. Well, it was. It's more. I guess my point is, you're so blessed to be in a situation with a showrunner where they they are open to yeah. that, because the amount of assholes that I've dealt with, and I, it's not even just because I'm a woman. Yeah. They're you know I'll, I'll never forget um, a friend of mine who I was on a show with. I was so nervous because I had to shoot a scene where I was in a bathing suit. And, like, I'm very comfortable with my body. I, I, that is something that I had to be forced to be comfortable with because I was a dancer my whole life. Mm. And I had to wear literally nothing. And, mm. like, we would change in front of everybody. And i rather be naked at home. That's just who I am. Um, but I remember being told, he said to me, he goes, oh, no, drink a bottle of red wine before the night before, take an Epsom salt bath because all of your wa- and diuretics and all of your water weight will come out of you and then you'll look okay. But you know what the really tragic- and that was a man who taught me this in his forties. So that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm not saying like, oh, women power, like mm. fucking me too shit. I'm talking where I understand it, what you are saying is not just a a gender specific issue of females because you only hear females talk about it this was a 40 year old man who'd been in the business for years and had convinced himself that this is the only way that he could do the scene and the really sad thing about that is that i didn't even just listen to you right now the only thing i was thinking about is trying to remember what you just said to use it to use it myself 
Well, it's a trick that works. I mean, I'll tell you that much. Clearly, I need therapy. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But clearly, we all need therapy. And, like, I got to yes. be honest with you. I don't have a therapist. Mm, I um, You do? No, I don't. Oh, you don't? I need um, one, obviously. But here I am preaching about it all the time, about therapy and stuff. I, I have a psychiatrist that I work with um, who's lovely, who helps me with my medication. But I don't have someone to talk to, you know. And... It's something I'm looking into and it's something I'm looking for because I need it to be very precious um, because that is someone that you share your whole life with. But excuse me, what, what I think is my selfishness is that I'm treating this like a therapy session because there's so many things that I'm learning. Like, holy fuck, man. Like, I just <laughs> learned so much from you. And, like, that's something I never mm. would have thought about and not even like the specifics of it all but about having to deal with things and and you know how when we're kids we shut down our mind and we hide things and it's interesting because being bipolar you forget a lot of things in your life and you don't have a memory and I was just talking about it with my friend last night how um oh my god I'm gonna blank on it it's the kind of therapy where you hold something and it triggers your brain cognitive yeah I think that's what it is and she was like, oh, I'm discovering all these things, blah, 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 that I never remembered before. And I honestly, like, would love to do that. But I'm scared shitless mm-hmm. on the shit that I'm going to find out about mm-hmm. because I am sure that there are so many issues that I have blocked out because I haven't wanted to face them. And doing what I did about coming out of being bipolar, like, while I'm like, yay, empowerment, like, I did it, I, like, go home at night and I'm like, what the fuck did I do? Like, is this ruining everything for me? And the irony of it all is that I've never had more phone calls come in from <laughs> agents and managers and, and, uh, and auditions and people taking it seriously because honesty is what is so sexy right now. And, yep. you know, and, and I'm going to ride that rave. Whoa. Uh. This is therapy for me. I <laughs> good, me too. I'm really like I love playing my character. I love playing my character. But now when I actually think about it, why do I love playing my character? He's not meant to be attractive. Mm. He's not meant to so there's this I don't have the pressure to try and look my best. I'm meant to look unattractive. Right. And that's what I love playing. There is, is some it a fucked up mind. Kind of? I mean, it's everything. Yeah. There is some uh, a therapist come at me. Uh, there is clearly <laughs> something about that that I love to play this character that I am not meant to be attractive, and I love it. Well, and because you fucking are killing beca- it at it. My you, God, thank you. But it's it's. I think it's the pressure of like the other guys on the show. They're meant to be attractive. They're, they right. have to have this right. great body and they're shirtless and da 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 That's not my character. Right. And that is what I gravitate towards. I well, don't and want you know what? to be attractive. You may gravitate towards that, but let me tell you, you are doing an incredible job about it. Thank you. Um, and I think that the best acting and the, the best natural gift is the ones where you can completely step out of the box but relate to it in a very different way and I think that people would look at you and be like this is some babe like wow he can do this but it's already in your mind and that's why you just tap right into that and that's why it's just the best of the best I already relate to it I gotta tell you though Isaac doesn't even know this (laughs) when everyone in school was like what Prince Charming would you choose every time I even had a stuffed animal every time I chose the Hunchback of Notre Dame. I'm just going to leave it at that. Huh. What was his name? And I'm blanking because I like... Quasimodo. Blah, Quasimodo. I was in love with Quasimodo. So I thought he was so sexy. Like an I thought he was sexy. Quasimodo. So you kind of mixed to with date the beast. Character. Yeah, that's Genesis. basically what I'm trying to tell you. It's like I'm in love with your character. No, I was obsessed with Quasimodo and the beast when he was the beast, not when he changed. Huh. Okay, so I have to wrap this up. Well, but I, I feel like I've just opened up a whole door for myself now. I need to like go and... I'm so proud wow. of you. But I'm going to ask one last question. Mm. And feel free to make this like as trite and light and like or deep, whatever you want to do. Sure. I ask the same question to every guest at the end. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
what makes you want to get up in the morning and continue on with your life? And it can be super simple. Like for me, it's my fucking dogs, you know? Yeah. Uh, is it sad that I don't know an immediate answer? No, that's okay. A you lot know? of people don't. I don't have an immediate answer. Uh, Making, um, see, I need therapy. Making, making other people proud. Mm-hmm. Making my mother and my father and everyone proud of me. Thank I God. need therapy, man. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that's going to be the sound bite that I always use. When someone's like, how are you? I need therapy, man. <laughs> I need therapy, man. Yeah. At, at present, I'm, clearly I need a lot of work to do on myself. But at present, making other people proud of me. I feel the same way. Yeah. I feel the same way. It's going to be so interesting if we can like redo this in like two, three years and see how, where we're at. That's what I would love to do. I yeah. want it all to be reoccurring and like learning from ourselves. And it's so bizarre because I've only been doing this for literally two plus weeks where we've been interviewing people. Wow. And I have expressed things that... I never talked about before. I've never, not only publicly, but <laughs> privately ever talked about, you know, having anorexia and bulimia. Do, that feels weird for me to even say it because no one's ever it's diagnosed foreign. it to me because I've never spoke about it. Mm-hmm. But if I wasn't eating and then the little amounts I was eating, I was throwing up, that's anorexia and bulimia, mm-hmm. right? Am I wrong? No, you're right. So I I had it then. And you know what's amazing is that I can guarantee on my life mm-hmm. that there is at least one male who is out there that is going to listen to this, and I say specifically male, yep. um, that you are going to completely change their world. And maybe that will help me as well. Yeah. yeah. And I guarantee you people will reach out to you um, because, you know... You're, it's beyond admitting what the mental health is for everyone. It's admitting, admitting that none of us are done growing and none of us are done learning and that we all need help. Yeah, I mean, still okay. to this day, I can't take my top off. So clearly it's still a current issue, mm-hmm. you know? We all need help. And I just auditioned to be a merman. So Dying. God knows what's going to happen with that if I get it. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that is the dream. Are you kidding me? How am I going to cope with you? You are going to do it because we have now talked about the problem and now you are going to do the work. You're going to go home and you're going to start doing the work. I am so fucking proud of you. I can't even tell you. I mean, if I have to be underground in water, like, and I've, I've talked about, I know, I know we were meant to stop about five minutes ago, but if I'm, if that happens, then what do I do? If I book that job, then what do I do? At, at times, I've been like, and maybe I'm still at that place now. Maybe I'm not. That I'm like, I won't take the job. You're going to take the job, and you're going to actually get the job. I mean, I need guarantee to book it me. first. No, guarantee <laughs> you, you're going to get the job because you have now put out to the universe yeah. the fear. You've admitted the fear to yourself. You've admitted the fear to everything. And now the universe is going to thank you and it's going to give you just the gift to keep on growing. I'm telling you, you're going to get this and I'm going to be like, I told you so. And we are going to work through this and it is endless amounts of work. But with every work you do to put towards yourself, the happier and and just you'll be able to breathe because I haven't breathed. English. I haven't breathed in yeah. probably 30 years and now I'm finally breathing. Wow. Do you know what? Let's do this. Let's start some kind of community. If there are any like guys out there that, or maybe you are part of communities where bulimia, anorexia is very real and you're already talking about it, hit me up on social media and let's start my own therapy about figuring this out. If, you, if you're going through it, let me know. Inbox me. Let's sort it out. Yeah, and you know, I, I have people send in questions mm. all the time um, to this show, and I have um, 
uh, my friend David Haggerty, he's a neuroscientist. Wow. So we have a cute little segment called Beauty in the Brain <laughs> where we answer the questions and it's kind of like from my funny point of view and then he's actually like, you know, the real like uh-huh. questions. And I, I would love for people to write in and ask this question about mental health in yeah. regards to bulimia and anorexia. And I find it so interesting and, and fascinating because you're the second male that's told me this when it's males. Yep. Um, because that's something that's definitely not talked yep. about. And you are just about to change so many lives. And you I are feel about like, to change I feel like own. people are about to change mine. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. I, mean, we, I feel like it's like we I, we came on here to talk about people, about, about you know, about cultures, but also, but also like to talk so then the person in middle America um, can, you know, hear this and feel that they're not alone or get help. But I actually feel like in turn, it's actually going to do also the opposite in that I'm going to find other people. So I'm not on my own as well. You're definitely not on your own because I will tell you this, not in a cheesy way. You have me (laughs) and you are definitely not on your own because I'm fucking here and I am awake at all hours. I'm an insomniac. So if you need me, I'll come over. I can cook you a vegetarian meal, no less. (laughs) I'm a great pasta maker and I'm here for you. All right. Day one. I love you. I'm so proud of you. Thank you for having me. And get out of here. Virtual hug. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye.